If you enjoy listening to Turning Point with David Jeremiah, you will be happy to hear that there is now a daily Turning Point television broadcast that you can watch each weekday. Tune in to Faith TV, Joy TV, or Miracle Channel Monday through Friday to watch the Turning Point daily television broadcast. Be sure to check your local listings for the channel and time in your area. Or visit davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV to download a program schedule or watch at your convenience. That website again is davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV. Welcome to Turning Point. Do you have the faith to ask God for a double portion of his blessing? Elisha did, and God answered in a big way. Today, Dr. David Jeremiah begins a new series, Elisha, the Double-Blessed Prophet, with a look at his character, his call, and how this Old Testament figure can help this generation of believers. Listen now as David introduces his message, Burning Your Bridges. Well, thank you for joining us. This is Turning Point, and we begin this new month together. I can't remember a month where so much is going on here at Turning Point and so many things to tell you about, but in the midst of it all is this discussion we're having about Elisha, the one who followed Elijah, the one who asked for a double portion of Elijah's blessing. This is a pretty interesting study, and it's very special to me because we conducted this study in the outdoor arena that we built for COVID-19 here at Shadow Mountain. We had Sunday night services outdoors. They were some blessed times when we were all hurting and trying to figure out what was coming next. We learned about God's promise. We learned about God's prophet. And uh, during this study, we're going to learn also that God's provision is available to everyone. Just as it was to Elisha, he will provide for us. Well, today we are beginning a month that has so many things to tell you about. First of all, I want to remind you that we're going to the Holy Land. This is almost disappeared, and we have several hundred people already registered to go with us, March the 22nd through April the 1st. We'll be going to view this this land of of promise. This, this place that God calls his own nation, his own country. We'll be there uh, to see uh, Galilee, Jordan, Jerusalem, the old city, the Judean wilderness, the Dead Sea, all wonderful things, Garden of Gethsemane, and the, the tomb where Jesus was placed after he was crucified. I want you to go with us. There's a wonderful brochure that tells you all about this, or you can just go to our website and download all the information. Please don't forget, this is a tremendous opportunity to be with God's people. We'll have great music, great worship. Most of all, we'll see a great place. The Holy Land Tour, March 22nd through April the 1st, 2022. And for this month, I want to let you know that we are really asking you to get involved with us as we share with you a new book that comes out in the month of October. The book is called Where Do We Go From Here? And it's an attempt on my part to answer all the questions people are asking me about what's going on right now. As we always do here at Turning Point, we have some special things we'd like to share with you that if you pre-order the book during the month of September, you can download two audio messages, two Bible studies that are very special messages about the rapture and and about the second coming of Christ. Uh, these are provided to you, and you can order that book by going to our website. Please do that. Go to the website, see how this works, 
order the book. You'll be among the first to receive it, and you'll help us get out of the origination of this book and the launch of this book with our hands up high in victory. We are so thankful for your partnership, and this is one of the things you can do to help us, but it'll help you, too. You'll get this book. In the month of October, we'll be teaching from this book. We'll be having rallies centered around this book, and I hope you'll get your copy. Go to the website today, and you'll know exactly what to do. Well, let's get started with this first lesson. We're in 1 Kings chapter 19, and today, well, we're talking about burning your bridges. It was in 1919, a young man was recovering from injuries suffered in the Great War in Europe. He rented a small apartment in Chicago. He chose the location for its proximity to the home of a man named Sherwood Anderson, the famous author. And the two men became fast friends and spent nearly every day together for two years. They shared meals, took long walks, discussed the craft of writing late into the night, The younger man often bought samples of his work to Anderson, and the veteran author responded by giving brutally honest critiques. Yet the young writer was never deterred. Each time he would listen, take careful notes, and then return to his typewriter to improve his material. He didn't try to defend himself, for as he put it later, I didn't know how to write till I met Sherwood Anderson. One of the most helpful things Anderson did for his young protege was to introduce him to his network of associates in the publishing world. And in 1926, he published his first novel, which met with critical acclaim. Its title was The Sun Also Rises, and the author's name was Ernest Hemingway. But wait, the story doesn't end there. After Hemingway left Chicago, Anderson moved to New Orleans, and there he met another young wordsmith, a poet with an insatiable drive to improve his skills. Anderson put him through the same paces. He had put Hemingway through writing, critiquing, discussing, encouraging, always more writing. He gave the young man copies of his novels and encouraged him to read them carefully, noting the words and the themes and the development of character and story. A year later, Anderson helped this man publish his first novel, Soldier Pay. Three years later, this bright new talent, William Faulkner, produced The Sound and the Fury. It quickly became an American classic. Anderson's role as a member to aspiring authors didn't stop there. He moved to California. He spent several years working with playwright Thomas Wolfe and a young man named John Steinbeck, among others, all told three of Anderson's protégés earned Nobel Prizes and four Pulitzer Prizes for literature. Nobody's ever heard hardly of Sherwood Anderson, but everyone knows all the people he made famous. Today we began a series of messages on the life of a man named Elisha. He's one of the lesser-known prophets of the Bible, And he walked in the shadow of his mentor, a man named Elijah. Listen carefully, because Elijah and Elisha sound alike. And if you don't listen carefully, you're going to get them mixed up. And if I don't listen carefully, I'm going to get them mixed up. So Elijah was the original. Elisha was the follower. Elisha received a double portion of Elijah's spirit. He performed twice as many miracles as his mentor. And just as Hemingway and Faulkner and Steinbeck scaled together heights larger than Sherwood Anderson ever dreamed of, Elisha in many ways outdid Elijah. As we begin our study on this wonderful prophet, I would like to talk to you about why he is so significant and why we are taking these weeks to study his life. Let's start by looking at his character. Elisha was born in the 9th century B.C., the son of a well-to-do farmer in the Jordan Valley, south of the Sea of Galilee. 
he soon emerged as the leader of the prophets in that area. The prophets had been under a great deal of pressure because Jezebel was out to get them all and destroy them. But the prophets gathered together and Elisha became their leader. In fact, later on in the story, we're going to see he had schools of prophets spread out all over the area where young men came to learn how to do the work of ministry. One of the reasons why he was so effective is because he was compassionate. Often when you read the Bible, you see miracles happen, and the miracles are used somehow to punish people or to get people back into the right space and make a point for the power of God. But almost all of Elisha's miracles were done out of compassion. For instance, he purified a polluted spring so the people of Jericho could drink fresh water. He provided financial resources so a widow could pay her debts. He asked God to grant a son to a barren Shunammite woman, and then the son got sick. Years later, he died, and Elisha returned to raise him from the dead. He purified a deadly pot of stew and multiplied loaves and grains so that people could have food in a time of famine. He healed the commander of a foreign army by the name of Naaman, who was afflicted with leprosy. Compassion and the well-being of other people were really important to Elisha. In that respect, he was much different than Elijah. Elijah's miracles were statements. Elisha's miracles were done to help people and to show compassion. He was also very courageous. He was compassionate, but he wasn't a coward. Here's a couple of stories out of his life. One time, the king of Aram sent a huge army with many chariots and horses to surround and capture Elisha. Frightened, Elisha's servant asked him, I love this question, Oh, sir, what will we do now? In other words, he saw all these chariots and all these military people all around him, and Elisha responded, Don't be afraid, for there are more on our side than on their side. And I'm sure the young man was looking, Where are they? Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And the Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. As the Aramean army advanced toward him, Elisha asked the Lord to make them blind. And the Lord answered, and Elisha and his servant were delivered when the Lord struck the enemy blind, and they were killing each other because they didn't know who they were after. On another occasion, Elisha refused to quiver before or cater to a powerful commander named Naaman. After he healed him in the way that we read about in the Bible, Naaman offered Elisha a gift. Here's the real test of a man of God. And the Lord said to Elisha, don't take the gift. Here's what he said. The Lord is the one I serve, and as surely as he lives, I will not accept any gift. He was a courageous man. He stood in the middle of a lot of difficult times, as we'll see going forward. But all through those times, he was a man after the heart of God, and he never wavered in his commitment to the Lord. How many of you know we could use a few men like that today? Billy Graham said, courage is contagious. When a brave man takes a stand, the spines of those around him are stiffened. Have you ever noticed that? When somebody stands up, they take on the, the whatever it is that needs to be taken on. When they stand courageously, you see other people around them grab hold of what they have done, and Elisha was like that. He was compassionate, he was courageous, and he was very consistent. You know, Elijah, the original guy, he wasn't very consistent. He was emotional. You didn't know what in the world Elijah was going to do. I mean, one moment he's on the mountain, he's condemning all of the prophets of Baal, and the next minute he's running away from Jezebel and asking the Lord to take his life. 
Elijah was a very unstable sort of person, even though the Lord used him in his personality. But Elisha wasn't like that. Elisha was a man who wasn't over-exuberant, and he didn't get down. He just did what he needed to do, and when you study his life, you just see this steady reign of this prophet always showing up the way he should, where he should, as he should. And then here's one that will surprise some of you because it sounds like this couldn't be a point in this message. But Elisha was Christ-like. You say, how could Elisha have been Christ-like? He lived in the Old Testament and Christ wasn't even born yet into this world. Well, here's what you know. We know what Christ was like because we've studied the New Testament. When you look back into the history of Elisha, you see many things that are similar to the things Christ did. It was almost like he was a picture of the coming of Christ. And I was really surprised when I found all of these, and I'm not going to give you all of them, but I want you to listen carefully to some of the similarities between Elisha and Christ. First of all, their names are similar. Elisha means God is salvation. Jehovah means Yahweh will save. Their ministries both started at the Jordan River. Elisha takes up the mantle of Elijah at the Jordan River and starts his ministry. And as you know, Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River and begins his ministry there as well. They both raise a woman's adult son from the dead. Elisha raises the son of the Shunammite woman from the dead. Jesus raises the son of the widow of Nain from the dead. They both feed large numbers with a small quantity of food. Elisha feeds 100 men with a few barley loaves and there's food left over. Jesus feeds 5,000 and then again 4,000 and there are a few loaves and fishes and there's food left over. They both turn a small quantity of liquid into an abundance. Elisha turns a small amount of oil into enough oil to fill every vessel in the community. And Jesus turns water into huge quantities of wine. They both heal lepers. Elisha heals Naaman. And the Lord Jesus heals many lepers. They both make things that should sink, float. This is one of my favorite stories. Elisha makes an iron axe head float on the top of the water. Jesus walks on the water and enables his disciple Peter to walk on the water as well. So over the life of these two men, Elisha in the Old Testament, Jesus in the New, Elisha is sort of like a prototype, a picture of the coming of Jesus. I've said to you often as your pastor that the story of the Bible is the story of Jesus. He's not just in the New Testament. He's everywhere. And if you study the Old Testament carefully, you will see pictures of the Lord Jesus in the Old Testament before he's ever introduced in the New. Then you go back and you look at them and you're amazed. So Elisha was characterized by compassion and courage and consistency and Christ-likeness. He is about to be called into God's service. Here is the most important thing that I want you to get as we begin this series together. How did Elisha get to be where he was in God's plan? Well, he first appears on the scene in 1 Kings chapter 19. His story begins with a call from God. Watch how Elisha responds to God's call on his life. It's a pattern for you and me. First of all, Elisha responded immediately. Elisha's call to the service actually began on Mount Horeb when God told Elijah, Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel, you shall anoint him as a prophet in your place. In other words, God came to Elijah and he said, Elijah, I have somebody chosen to follow you in the ministry. His name is Elisha and you're going to go and anoint him and he's going to be your successor. Elijah was at that time in a very discouraging place. He was thinking he was the only one left and nobody else was there. But God told him to go get Elisha. And the Bible says that Elijah found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, and he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. 
And Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. Now that's a very interesting thing. He left the oxen and ran after Elijah. This is the idea that you have sometimes when you hear about somebody wearing someone's mantle. What that means is they take what's on them and they take it off their shoulders, usually some large robe-like garment, and they throw it on the shoulders of someone else. And that symbolizes that what was happening with this man is now going to happen with this man. And so Elisha's call originated with God, and God used Elijah to confirm it. If we want to know how the Lord wants us to serve men and women, we seek to discern what the Lord desires of us. What do you think God wants you to do? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever said, Lord, what is it you want me to do? And we seek the counsel of others. I remember when I was called into the ministry, I didn't just go and do it on my own. I asked a lot of people, is this something you think I should do? Does this look like it could be God's will for my life? Please note, Elisha's response to God's call on his life was immediate. Read the story. He left his oxen and he ran after Elijah. Get the picture. Elisha's out there plowing, minding his own business. Elijah comes along and he says, God has called you to the ministry. He throws his mantle on Elisha. Elijah keeps going and Elisha runs after him. He wants to make sure he doesn't miss anything that God has for him. He decided right away, this is what I will do. So let me just say to you, when you hear God speak to you, when God talks to you, and I don't know how that works in your life, sometimes he speaks as you're reading the scripture. I believe sometimes God speaks to you in your spirit by the Holy Spirit, and you know it's God. Whenever God speaks to you, don't hesitate. I've told you before that when God tells you something to do and you don't do it, the time between he tells you to do it and the time you ultimately do it is not God's time. It's the enemy's time. When God tells you to do something, do it immediately. I don't want you to be the person who listens to the word tomorrow and finally tomorrow doesn't come. When D.L. Moody first started to preach the gospel in Chicago, he would say at the end of each service, I want you to go home tonight and think about what I've said and come back tomorrow night ready to make a decision. And for years, that was his standard procedure. But on the night of the great Chicago fire, he gave the same instruction. And many of the people who were in his congregation that night perished in the fire, never having responded to Moody's message. And from that day until he died, Moody never again said those closing words. He learned the power of today. He realized that the message of the gospel usually comes home to our hearts when we first hear it. And maybe a light goes on, and maybe we realize this is true. I need to follow up on this. This is God speaking to me. When that happens, don't delay. Don't push it into tomorrow, because a tomorrow becomes another tomorrow until there aren't any tomorrows left. God is speaking to you. Maybe he's been talking to you about getting your life right with God. Something happens to us when we're under pressure that has a tendency to make us think more seriously about our relationship with the Creator. Elisha responded immediately. But notice, secondly, he responded thoughtfully. When Elijah came to him and said, you're the next man, he threw his mantle on him and he ran after Elijah, many questions must have been running through Elisha's mind. I mean, what is this all about? What's going to happen to me? And Elisha said to Elijah, let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again for what have I done to you? It was as though the prophet said, don't act impulsively. Sit down and count the cost before you commit yourself. And in his decision to follow Elijah, Elisha still honored his parents. He was thoughtful enough to explain to them what was going on in his life. In his mind's eye, I imagine Elisha sitting down with his parents and telling them how much he loved them, thanking them for all they had done for him, and then asking them to pray for this new adventure in his life. 
finally hugging them, saying goodbye with tears in his eyes. Elisha responded immediately, and he responded thoughtfully, but he also responded decisively. This is the key to the whole story. In verse 21 of chapter 19 of 1 Kings, we read, So Elisha turned back from Elijah and took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people, and they ate. You say, what in the world? He took one of the yoke of oxen, slaughtered the oxen, and used the harness of the yoke to create the fire so he could have a feast, so he could let everybody know what was going on. Well, his decision to follow God, you see, was an occasion for feasting. But he was so joyful that he killed two oxen. And I've written down in my notes, he took everything that belonged to his old way of life and he cooked it. He cooked it. He said, I'm never coming back. I'm going with God. I'm not coming back. I'm not going to come back to being a farmer and plowing. I'm going onward with God. This is a defining moment. He leaves his past to go find his future. I'll tell you that when God speaks to you about a new direction, that often happens. You have to get out of your past and into the present and into the future. Elisha's extreme action was his determination that there would be no turning back that God had called him and that there was no way he would ever come back and undo God's instruction. And one of the inescapable things of the scripture is that we cannot grab hold of the future if we're holding on to the past. Have you ever noticed that? When you hold on to the past, it's hard to grab hold of the future. You've got to let God give you direction. And when he does, get rid of all of the opportunities to go back and do the old thing. You know, a lot of us today, especially, we want options. We want as many options as we can. Lord, I'm going to try this, and if this doesn't work, I'm going to keep this alive because then I'll be able to go back and do what I used to do. Not Elisha. He burned up his old lifestyle, and he went on with God. Although you might be grounded in the past, you cannot be grounded by the past. And while tomorrow is coming regardless of what you do, the future comes because of what you do. In a book by Erwin McManus, He said these words, I'm not going to watch life happen. I refuse to be the audience. Life is not meant for observation. Life is cruel in this. If you're willing to be left behind, the future will leave you in the past and opportunity will depart. Listen carefully. If you're going to live the life that God created you to live, if you're going to be able to look back on your life and know you have lived it without cause for regret, then refuse to stay behind. No one can make this shift for you. No one can create this change on your behalf. You have to stop waiting for someone to call you off the bench and put you in the game. You need to get up, refuse to remain on the sidelines any longer. Stop letting life slip through your fingers. Grab hold of it and refuse to let it go. That's the story of Elisha. He got rid of his past. He burned it up so that he could go forward. And what we're going to see in these next sermons as we look at the amazing things this man did, they were able to be done because he wasn't living with options. He burned all his options up. He was living with one purpose, and that was to please God. One greater than Elijah has come, and he tells us that if we come and do not hate our father and mother, our wife and our children, our brothers and sisters, if anyone does not carry his cross and follow me, he cannot be my disciple. Did you know that? The Bible says you can't be God's disciple and have one foot over here in what used to be a part of your life, and you're comfortable with that. You know how that all works, and 
It makes you feel good when you get up in the morning because you know what you're going to do. But God calls you to something new, and when he does, you have to put both feet into that new thing. If you're going to get God's will done in your life, you have to put both feet into the new pathway. And that's exactly what Elisha did. I want to tell you that he made a decision. And that's a really important thing. All of us have to make decisions, don't we? We have to decide. Somebody said, how do you become a Christian? You decide to follow Christ. You come to the place in your life where you've tried everything else maybe. You've done a lot of things that haven't worked. And once you hear a message or you read something or somebody witnesses to you, you make the decision to follow Christ. Have you made that decision? Have you decided to follow Jesus? Well, that's where it starts. Uh, We don't want to emotionalize this or sensationalize it. It's simply you're coming to grips with the fact that you need to be forgiven of your sin, and Jesus Christ is the only one who can do that. You make the decision to accept his forgiveness and ask him to come and live within your life. You become a Christian. Well, friends, during uh, the month of September, we, we started a new tradition several years ago. We actually provide a calendar for the next year. And you can get your 2022 Turning Point calendar uh, for a gift of any size to Turning Point during this month. We'll tell you more about it during the month. It's beautiful. And more than ever before, it's a place for you to write down the things you're going to do, which we really need to do in this confusing culture, don't we? So be sure and send your gift to Turning Point to help us with what we do and ask for your calendar for 22. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's current series, Elisha, the Double Blessed Prophet, visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of our inspiring 14-month calendar for 2022, Moving Toward Hope, filled with scriptures and images to encourage your walk. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your favorite smart devices or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries to instantly access our content. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.org slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Elisha, the Double Blessed Prophet, here on Turning Point. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible, drawing on more than 40 years of study by Dr. David Jeremiah. Take your personal Bible study deeper with unique introductions to each book of the Bible. 55 full-page articles exploring the essential themes of the Christian life. 8,000 study notes with insightful and practical content, an extensive cross-reference system, and helpful sidebars that extend to topics beyond the study notes. You can also take advantage of online resources available to you at jeremiahstudybible.com. Great for individual or small group studies, this Bible is available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print with several cover options. For more information or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. Listen to how this Chinese proverb connects righteousness and world peace. If there is righteousness in the heart, there will be beauty in character. 
If there is beauty in character, there'll be harmony in the home. If there is harmony in the home, there will be order in the nation. If there is order in the nation, there will be peace in the world. Nearly 3,000 years ago, Solomon said the same thing, but with fewer words. He wrote, Righteousness exalts a nation. National righteousness always starts with righteousness in the heart of an individual. Not our righteousness, but the righteousness of God in us. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's righteousness on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.